to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. So today, um, I'm privileged and honoured to be sharing with you. And just want to start off with, you know, how many of you remember your salvation experiences? How many of you like vividly remember? Well, mine is quite unique. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's, um, I wouldn't say it's the point where you know that I I truly believe that I re- I received Jesus. But it was the first time I said the salvation prayer whatever that means. Okay, but it was the first time I said the prayer to receive Jesus. So I was seven years old. And uh, I think my Sunday school teacher gave me, uh, they just gave us like this book, this story book. And in the book, had, they had this, because uh, it's from US. Uh, it's from US, but then uh, this, this, uh, this Singapore publisher brought it in. So they, had, they attached this little name card in it. And on the name card, it says, Dull a Story. So basically, you can just call up this number and uh, there will be like children's uh, Bible stories being read to you. It's like a one minute. No, last time... That, that none of you okay so um, I was seven years old and I saw this card and for whatever reasons I felt embarrassed to, to call at home I felt embarrassed to, to go and like take the card and you know use the home phone and call so I took a few coins I went downstairs to my void deck to the pay phone young people pay phone is the phone last time they attached to the wall uh, uh, quite big like that like that, uh-huh. And then after that, you take 10 cent coins, you put in phone card, not even out yet. <sighs> Burning. Yeah, no. <laughs> so then you put the coins. Right? Okay, so I went to the pay phone with a few coins and I dialed the story. So it's a 1-800 number story. Okay, 1-800 number. Uh, 1-800 number. So I dialed that number and then, oh, uh, welcome to dial a story for... Um, for don't know what story was, they press one. So I pressed one. And then they just started saying the story about something, you know, I forgot what it was, but it was a Bible story. And after the thing, so after then, you know, you can hear the sound. <sighs> when pay phone, when it's running out of time, 10 cents gives you three minutes. So when you're running out of time, they has this like ding sound that you have to put in the, another 10 cents. So basically I put in another 10 cents. And then at the end of the story, it says, uh, the, the, the person who was narrating said, if you want Jesus to be your friend, press eight. So... <laughs> So I press 8. And then say, pray along with us, dear Jesus. So at my void deck at 7 years old, on a pay phone, I prayed um, the sinner's prayer. I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus into my heart. Of course, it took me years later to realize what all that meant. But that was my salvation experience, sort of. <laughs> sort of. You know, and nothing really happened. And how, I think many of you during your salvation uh, experience, some might feel heat. Some might have been crying, you know. It might have been a really powerful experience for you where you felt things internally, where um, externally your body was also manifesting, you know, in a, in a way where you felt, like I say, heat or you felt the presence of God tangibly. You felt peace come into your heart. Um, but for many people like me, I didn't feel a thing. Uh, there was nothing happening. There was no, you know, no walking on water kind of feeling, no, no angels suddenly surrounding me and singing and, you know. Uh, there was nothing. But in the spiritual, when we receive Jesus, when we say yes to a relationship with Jesus, something incredible happens in the supernatural. Something that, that we, don't, we don't see with our eyes. And even though we don't feel it externally, or maybe even internally, in the heavenly realm, something happens. And in Romans 11, if you could have that up this, the screen. Can you all see? Okay. <laughs> Flower. In Romans eleven seventeen, it says, And you, that's us, talking about the Gentiles, but us, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. You see, upon receiving the gift of foundation, the, uh, of salvation, the Bible tells us that we are grafted into the family of God. We have become one together with those who... Uh, and, and in those days, in this context, they were talking about the Jews and Gentiles, but now we know we are in the new covenant. There are neither Jews nor Gentiles, but this is what you're saying, that, we were, that those of us who are aliens from Christ or from God, we were being grafted into the family of God. And because now we are part of the family, we get to become partakers of the root and fatness. We become partakers of the source of all things. 
And in Romans 8, 15 to 17, it says, uh, of course, you know, that we receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. You know, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Colossians 1 tells us that the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. When we are grafted into the family of God, something incredible happens. Our names get added into the family tree. Our names get added into the family line, the genealogy of Christ, of God. And because of that, we, we become heirs of God. We become joint heirs with Christ. We become um, recipients of an inheritance that God has for us. So what is an inheritance? An inheritance is the practice of passing on property, titles, rights, and obligations upon the death of an individual. In Philippians, uh, I don't have it on the screen, but in Philippians chapter 2, in the, in the Passion Translation, it says uh, about Jesus that because of his obedience, he was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of their obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. So now Jesus has been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, when Jesus went to the cross in obedience, God, in response, releases this uh, astounding, unfathomable uh, blessing and promise upon his son. When, 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 when Jesus went to, uh, was obedient even unto death at the cross, God the Father released this enormous, uh, indescribable inheritance that his son could inherit. And one of the, one of the most amazing things that happened through the death and the, uh, the crucifixion, the death and then the resurrection and ascension is that we get to be part of it. That now we get to uh, be all that, be partakers of all that these things represent what the death represents, what the, what the resurrection represents, what the accession of Jesus Christ represents, we get to be partakers of all that, is, has been, all that has happened and all that will happen. We become partakers of this inheritance. We have been made um, to share in Jesus' inheritance. You see, understanding our spiritual inheritance in God as believers is important because it defines who we are in God. It defines who we are. Only family members, mostly, okay? I'm not talking about you know, people who give to charities or donations, but pe only people in the family get to get the inheritance. It defines who we are in God. It defines our position in God. So understanding our spiritual inheritance, what we have for us, what God has prepared for us, is important to us as believers. We are not illegitimate. We are children of God. So what is the nature of this inheritance that we where we get to have. What are, what's the nature of it? Firstly, it is guaranteed. It's good news. You see, we never have to worry about somebody contesting you know, or stealing our inheritance because it's guaranteed by God. In Ephesians 1, 11 to 14, it says, In Him we also obtain an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And then you go further down, it says, uh, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You see, God portioned our inheritance even before the foundations of this earth. You know, in His loving, infinite wisdom, He has already apportioned an inheritance for us. So now, okay, so I, I don't know if you follow my thought process, but when I read this, I'm thinking like, huh, predestined already. That means what I have is what I have. I can't get more. Or what if what I want, somebody else has taken, right? What if like, I want this estate in God and then somebody else has taken? The, the paradox of the kingdom of God is that it's an ever-increasing kingdom. And because it's an ever-increasing kingdom, our portion keeps increasing. Amen? You know, and, and I think Andre shared this before that um, all of us are in this space, in this time, right? We are unique because not two persons can occupy a space. But the paradox of the kingdom is that two persons can own the same thing. We can all have love. We all can have joy. We all can have peace. We all can have breakthroughs. The same breakthroughs. We all can be in the same. We can possess, we can possess the same things. Okay? And so if God, God 
already, in his uh, infinite wisdom, has apportioned for us something that we can never even ask, dream of asking for. So we need to trust that whatever that he has given to us is good. It's more than what we can have, have. Whatever that we think is best for us, he exceeds that. It's guaranteed. Then the word guarantee there is uh, the Greek word prototokos. No, it's, no, sorry, it's Erebon. Prototokos is another word. The Greek word is Erebon. I love it because it sounds like Lord of the Rings. <sighs> it's so Middle Earth. <laughs> I love this kind of words. Erebon, the son of... You know, okay. So Erebon in the Greek uh, means the first installment or in, in its detail, it actually means a foretaste of what is to come. And the Bible says here that the Holy Spirit has sealed, the Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance. He is the foretaste of what is to come for us. Erebon. It's like, you know those durian sellers, Bautia. It's like, <laughs> I don't know if you all ordered durians before, but like, you know, you go to the store, you just ask them for one, they'll open one, they'll just gladly open one for you and let you eat. And then, it, and if it's nice, they'll say, oh, all this whole batch is good. Baotiawan, you know, it's like everything. So whatever, whatever you buy, you don't have to try anymore. You just take whatever that he gives you and then you take. And that is basically what the Holy Spirit is. He's Baotia, okay? When he comes, he's a guarantee. He's the Erebon. He's the foretaste of what is to come. And if the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of what is to come, can you imagine the immeasurable uh, greatness of what is laying before us? Amen? Amen? You following me? Our inheritance is guaranteed. He's the down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. He has guaranteed. He's the down payment. We will get our full inheritance. And if he is only the first installment, can you imagine 100%? Can you imagine that the fullness of the inheritance of God? Secondly, our inheritance, it's covenantal. It's covenantal. In Galatians 3, verse 26 and 29, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Genesis here we see, I don't know if I have it there. In Genesis we see this, uh, um, this, this story where God is making a covenant with, with Abraham. And I'll just skip down to Genesis 15 verse 12 and after that I'll go downwards. So anyway, the sun was... Um, the sun already came down, you know, and then Abraham was made to fall into a deep sleep, you know, and, uh, and it came to pass when the sun went down, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant and then he went on to give a covenant about the lands that they will conquer. You see, in those days, um, covenants are made between mutual parties and what they will do is, this is a very condensed version and um, I did some study on covenants, right? And this is actually a very condensed version because the writer assumes that everybody knows the process. So this is just a very... But actually, there's a lot of like, things that they do. The ceremony that they go through, it's quite elaborate to make a covenant. But in this shortened and condensed version, basically, when, when the two parties come together, they bring uh, like cattle or they bring animals and they cut them into half. Half of the body of the cattle will be one, on one side. The other half of the body will be on the other side. And what these two mutual parties will do is they will come and they will pass this one, they will walk in the middle. And so then there's a lot of other rituals that they do. But according to the Bible here, so they will pass through. And basically what they're trying to say is, in the middle of these carcasses, they're saying that, God, you do this and more to me if I break the covenant. So basically what I'm saying that this will happen to me if I break the covenant. I'll be cut into, into half and more. Okay? And so th what, what they're trying to say is when they come together like that, this is a covenant I cannot break. Because this is a blood covenant. Okay, and we see here, like, essentially, you know, God put Abraham in a, in a sleep, and then he passed by. And a lot of scholars, they, they, are, they are debating, you know, that um, many of them said that this burning torch and smoking oven is, was the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, so he came, he came as a, to, to witness or rather to be part of the process of this covenant making and then later on it's symbolic he will become like the lamb that was slain he, he becomes the, the, the person who you know, bridges the covenant between us and God but, so anyway God is the one who came and then he passes through and so we see here instead of Abraham and God coming through this and passing through this carcass to make this covenant God put Abraham in a deep sleep and God himself passes through this covenant, this, uh, this, this carcasses, 
and he made the covenant with himself. He made the covenant with himself and essentially he's saying that I pledge with myself that I will not break this covenant. This is the covenant I keep with you and over you. I pledge it to myself. It's not even dependent on you. It's dependent on me. You know, and we know God will not. And in, in Psalms, it says that my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. As joined as with Christ, we also became recipients of the covenantal promise to, to Abraham, which God is committed to seeing us attain the fullness of. <coughs> Thirdly, our inheritance is received by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 4 tells us for the promise that he will be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Galatians tells us that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This inheritance that we have is not received by behavior, it's not received by performance, but it's received by our relationship with Jesus. You know, it is received only because we, we have faith in Jesus. Uh, in, in Colossians verse 1, it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says that He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The word firstborn here is the Greek word prototokos. And prototokos, it means the priority one or the birthright. The priority one or the birthright. You see, the birthright has to do with the inheritance of both goods and position. In those days, a birthright enables a person to, have, to inherit a double portion of whatever the father has. And it gives them the position uh, and the authority to govern the whole household. This is what birthright is. It basically is the privilege to receive the responsibilities and the rewards of the father. And that's what we came into when we are joined with Christ, when we became joined heirs with Christ, when we became children of God, we are being bestowed a birthright we get to have a double portion. We get to receive, we get to have the privilege to receive the responsibilities and the rewards of the father. That is what a birthright is. You know, when my, when my mother, my grandmother passed away, my mom's side, my maternal grandma passed away, um, uh, my auntie wa who was living in States, uh, she came back uh, to, she came back before my maternal grandmother passed away. So before that, like a few months, she usually will be in the United States for most parts of the, of the year. And so my mom has a key to her letterbox. And my mom will just open the letters, maybe the letterbox maybe like once in two weeks to just look for letters or anything that might come into attention. She can help my auntie process those things. And so my auntie came back. Uh, and so she, my mother handed her back the key. Then after that, my grandma passed away. And then when my grandma passed away... Uh, a lot of things happen, you know, a lot of paperwork, you know, a lot of the insurance stuff happened and all. And so a few months passed and then my auntie returned to the States. And then my auntie so gave back the key to my mum. And so one day after like, that's like about eight months, probably six, eight months after my grandma passed away, my auntie returned back to the States. My mum went to open the letterbox and then she realised that, oh, there was a letter from the insurance company. And the insurance company basically, uh, they, they did a payout. So they were, they were always thinking, like, why is it so long? But actually, they did a payout already. And so, but when, she, when my mom opened the, the letter and she double-checked the check, uh, the date has passed. You know, and so in Singapore, the checks, there's like six months validity. Yeah, and so it has passed. So basically, she cannot cash out the check anymore. And, and, and my auntie was like, oh no, I'm so sorry, my auntie's in States. And then now, because she's the one who handled the insurance. So back and forth, back and forth, it took another like three months before uh, the insurance company even began to... You know, do the process of reissuing the check again. And it took like a really long time before the thing, before the thing here. You know, as Christians, sometimes it's, we are like that. We are, we are ignorant of uh, the fact that we have a payout, <laughs> that we have an insurance waiting for us. And we don't know that. We leave it lying. And either that or we are indifferent. You know, we are like, you know, oh, inheritance, what is that? Mm, whatever, move on in life. And, and to, the, to walk in the fullness of our inheritance to walk in the fullness of our, our, our identity is, is to be true sons and daughters. Is to be true sons and daughters. Only illegitimate, illegitimate children uh, think about inheritance or they worry or they do not care about it. But, but it is the true sons and daughters. It is because we identify ourselves as sons and daughters that we need to walk in the fullness of our inheritance. We need to, uh, we are, we need to inherit all 
that God has given to us. We are made worthy to receive this gift through Jesus Christ because our approach towards our spiritual inheritance will affect our ability to steward and to walk in it. Our approach okay, towards our spiritual inheritance will affect our ability to steward and to walk in our inheritance. You see, everything in, from the grocery store, okay, like vegetables, canned goods, fruits, everything is weighed for value. Diamonds, it is weighed in value to establish its value. We also need to give weight to spiritual things. We need to give weight to spiritual things. And, and the weight that we give and the value that we, that we give to these things can be seen in the action or in the lack of action we take when things happen. For example, if you believe that God is in the healing business, right? If you believe God he wants to heal us, wants to give us divine health, when sickness comes to you, what you do and what you do not do will show what, how much you esteem that promise of God. Do you, do you, are you following me? If you believe, if you, if you think that, if you believe in um, the, the faithfulness of God, when something happens to you that, that makes you in your circumstances, they make you doubt. Like, what's going on? What's happening in my life? What you do or what you do not do will show how much you esteem the promise of God and the blessings of God. We need to give weight. We need to give value to the things of God. Uh, I'd just like to give you two examples of people who of the differing values that people have for their spiritual inheritance. Uh, I don't have it there, but if you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Here we have the story of Esau. Basically, Esau went to the field. He's a hunter. Okay, He's an outdoorsy person. And he went out to hunt. And Jacob, who is more like the indoor person, okay, he's more like the mummy's boy, he was at home and he was cooking a stew. And so Esau, after a long day out, killing, hunting, he came back, he was tired. And he said to Jacob, he came in, he smelled the food and he said, no, please feed me with that same red stew for I'm weary. Verse 29. So, and then Jacob said, no, sell me your birthright. I mean, of course, there's another whole sermon on Jacob and his deceitfulness, but how God redeemed that. But Jacob over here seized the opportunity, okay? And he said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me on, as of this day. So, so Esau swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob went to give Esau his angdaotang. Okay, and the Bible says that thus Esau despised his birthright. No, the Bible said that... Uh, Esau despised, that's, a, that's a quite a strong word, you know. And he didn't have value for his birthright. He even took wives from the Canaanite population. If you, if you remember what, the, uh, what happened with Abraham, God basically said that, you know, that do not that to conquer all the Canaanite nations and also basically do not make treaties with them, do not have marriages with them, destroy them. But Esau went to have wives from the Canaanite position and he even sold his birthright. He didn't even think about it. He just let his natural desires just take over and then he just sold. He had no value. He could not even have imagined what his descendants could, could be like with the birthright. Okay, the Bible says that, you know, um, that, that e like even Australia, New Zealand, the Middle East, parts of Europe were all actually uh, part of the birthright you know, that Esau could have inherited. He could not even have imagined the wealth, power, military might, political impact and world leadership his descendants could have. He demonstrated that he didn't have value for the responsibilities and the rewards of his father Abraham. Later on, his blessings for the firstborn was also stolen from him. Later on, you can read about it where Jacob also disguised as Esau and he stole the, fir the, the firstborn blessing from him. And, and Esau spent his life hunting down his brothers. Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, were at war with, with Israel. And, parts, and later on, he also says the Amalekites who came from Edom, or Esau as he was known, also became at war with Israel. And all his life, he was just living in torment. He was just living, hunting down, chasing after the person who stole what was originally his. He didn't have a value for what was his. He didn't have a value for the spiritual inheritance that his father has given him. And then we see Elisha. In 2 Kings verse chapter 2, 
if you can turn with me there. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1 all the way. It's a long passage. Long, long passage. But basically what happens now, this is like the last days of Elijah. Not that he's going to pass away, but Elijah was going to be taken up okay, by God to the heavens. So Elijah was going to be taken up. And we see uh, Elisha following him. So in Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1, When the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And this happened like two, three times more. That every time, uh, like Elijah, Elijah seems to like, want to give Elisha the sleep. You no, know? like he just want him to go away. He wants to be alone. When, uh, I don't know why, but it's just a very funny passage. Because every single time, uh, this Elijah said, okay, I need to go. God asked me to go to Bethel. Then Elisha said, okay, I will, still, I will still follow you. I won't desert you. Then go to Bethel already. Uh, um, God tells me to go to Jordan. You can stay here. Oh, no, no, I still want to follow you to Jordan. You know? And so this happened a few times where Elijah was trying to give Elisha the sleep. He was trying to, trying to get away. He wants to be caught up alone. Okay? He just wants to, to be there alone with God. But Elisha just clung on to him and said, no, no, I will follow you. I will follow you. I will not forsake you. As long as the Lord lives, as long as your soul lives, I will want to follow you. And then we go all the way down. And then uh, in verse 6, the Lord asked him to go to Jordan. And so same, Elisha said, I will follow you. I will not leave you. So the two went on. And then uh, in verse 7, we see like the, the prophets, the son of prophets. And in every part of these places that as they journeyed, right, the prophets always came up to Elisha and say, hey, God is bringing your master up today. And he'll go like, shh, keep quiet. And every time, so it's just a very funny passage to me because every time he goes, some, it's the same thing repeating. He will go somewhere, somebody say, hey, you know, some, the, the master is going to be taken out by God. He'll say, yes, shh. Then Elijah will ask him to stay. He don't want to stay. And then they move on again. And so basically at the, uh, verse 7, it says that 50 men of the sons of prophet went, stood facing them. Elijah took his mantle, which was his cloak. He rolled it up. He struck the water. It was divided and they crossed on dry land. And so as they crossed, then finally Elijah got sick and tired of him following, of Elijah following him. He said, so what do you want from me? Ask of me anything before I'm taken away. And Elisha said this in verse 9. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so in verse 10, Elijah replied, You have asked a hard thing, but if you've seen it when I'm taken from you, so be it. So it shall be so for you. So it happens, the chariots of fire came, uh, he was taken up, and his cloak fell. And Elisha took it. Okay? Elisha took it. And so in verse 13, he said, He also took up the mantle of Elijah. And he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. So here he was. Okay, everybody knew that Elijah was going to be taken up. And here, he, here Elisha picked up the mantle and the cloak. He rolled it up. And everybody, the 50 prophets who were standing at the... Basically, they were the audience. They were a congregation. They were standing down there to see if really the God of Elijah would be upon Elisha. Basically, they were testing water. Okay? They were just like seeing, are you sure like, this will going to be passed down from him to you? And so Elisha took on the mantle and he struck the water and it says he passed through on dry land. And then the sons of the prophet who were from Jericho saw him and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. You see, Elisha knew he was to be the successor of Elijah. When Elijah walked past him one day and then he threw his cloak upon him, he knew that he had to follow Elijah. And he knew that he would be the successor. He was like a firstborn to Elijah and he could ask for inheritance. In those days, that's what it is, you know, you are like the firstborn. But instead of asking for a double portion of, remember I said the firstborn it has a birthright. And the birthright enables you to ask for a double portion. But instead of asking for a double portion of material stuff, not that Elijah might have a lot, but... but Instead of asking for double portion of a material stuff, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. In the message version, it basically says that Elijah said, I want your life repeated in my life. He wanted Elijah's spiritual legacy. He's basically saying to, to Elijah, share with me the spirit of God I see in you. Share with me. I want your life repeated in my life. And interestingly, the scripture actually records twice the, the amount of miracles that Elisha did. Elisha, there was a record of like 28 miracles. Elijah did 14 miracles recorded in the Bible. He had a double portion. You see, Elisha knew 
that he had to take on the responsibility of being God's spokesperson to Israel. He knew that he had a responsibility. Unlike Esau, he knew that he had to have a double portion. He knew he had to have the blessings of his father in order to operate, in order to resume, in order to assume the responsibilities of his father. He knew he had to have the double portion in order to carry on the mantle. He had a high value for the inheritance. And because he had the high value, he clung on to it and he received it. And so here we see these two opposing people. We see Esau who just gave it up for really ang tao teng. It's, red, it's just lentil soup, red bean soup. He didn't, he didn't foresee and he didn't even have um, the ability to, the capacity to see what the future could hold. He lived in just the right here and now. I want to satisfy my need. I don't see how, he said, what has my birthright got to do now that I'm about to die? I'm about to die. My birthright is of no use. And he gave that up. And we know that eventually that lot fell upon Jacob, who's called Israel. You see, if we don't recognize what we have, we don't recognize the inheritance that we get to, to have, we won't gain any benefits from them. Right? Like my auntie, like my family, my auntie, when if she didn't realize it, that there's a check there, we can never gain uh, the benefit of the insurance payout. And it's the same, it's because Elisha realized the importance of the inheritance that he gets to have. Realized the importance of the inheritance that he gets to have, he benefited. And from then on, the Bible said that immediately people said the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. There was, there was a recognition of uh, the inheritance of God upon his life. And we need to recognize the value. Uh, an elderly man from Arizona, let me just read you a story. An elderly man from Arizona was moving out of his home to a retirement home. His neighbor, a younger man, uh, decided to help him move out his furniture. So in the garage, the younger man found a signed LA Lakers poster. And so he was excited. And so he asked to have an auctioneer come and appraise it. LA Lakers, this is very early on. So when Josh Levine, who's an auctioneer, Arrived at the garage, he appraised the poster. He estimated the worth to be about US $300. Not bad for a poster. So before leaving, he saw a bunch of paintings at the corner. And amongst these paintings, he saw something that was like a modern painting. It looked like a modern art, very different from the usual Arizona style, Southwest kind of style. Uh, and so he, and he saw it, and he, it was like a style that's familiar to him. So he said, oh, that. So he just casually remarked, that looked like a, a Jackson Pollock kind of painting. And so he asked, could he have that to get it uh, checked out, you know, if it was authentic. So the young man said, okay, sure. No, the older man is not around. Uh, so he took it back to the office. And then after months of authenticating and having forensics to come and analyze the painting, he estimated the painting to be worth 15 million US dollars. You see, the elderly man had received the painting from his half-sister who had passed away in the 90s. When he took over the paintings, he thought the paintings looked expensive, but struck it off and never had the time to go have it appraised. And so he left it in his garage till January of 2016 when it was found again. If we fail to recognize the value of our inheritance that we have been given, we will never gain any benefit from them. By placing value on something, we position ourselves to receive the inheritance. We position ourselves to receive the benefit of what we get to have by placing value. If I place value on the faithfulness of God, I will, have to, I will be the recipient of Him coming through for me. Right? If I place value um, in God as a God of breakthrough, I will see victories in my life. I position myself for victory. If, if I place value in God as provider, I, pros I position myself for His blessings to come through. If I place value in tithe, I position myself to give in cheerfulness knowing that it's a foundation of blessings. So wh whatever we place value on, we position ourselves to receive benefit from. Amen? If I, if I place value in the Holy Spirit, I'll be positioned to mobilize and move by the Holy Spirit. When we give weight and place a high value of things of God in our lives, it will be manifested in our lives. We need to place value. We need to give weight to spiritual things. So we pray, I pray that this morning, our eyes and our hearts will be enlightened and illuminated to the richness of, 
of the inheritance of Christ Jesus that we have. Amen? Amen? Mm. So what is our inheritance? What is our inheritance? It's not comprehensive, but these are a few things that I believe are inheritance. Firstly, our inheritance in eternity. I have a bunch of scriptures which you can go back, go to the app and have a more thorough read, but I'm just going to go through them. Uh, our inheritance, in, we have many verses, many verses talking about what we are going to have in the world to come. Uh, in John 14, it says, My father's house has many mansions. Second Corinthians, talking about exceeding an eternal weight of glory. We have a new Jerusalem coming down. We are prepared as a bride. Uh, God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. Uh, there will be, we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for us, the things that God has prepared, and many, many more. All these things are on the other side of eternity. You know, in these verses, we get to glimpse a little bit of what eternity looks like. We get to glimpse, have a glimpse of what our eternal inheritance is like. And sometimes I feel we need that. We sometimes in, in life, right, when we go through the difficult things, when we go through trials, when we look at these verses, we know that this is not the end. It encourages us. Our inheritance in eternity encourages us because we know that all these things will fade away. The difficulties, the mundane, the, all that we are striving for and trudging forward for, all these things will die away and it is what is reserved in heaven that will live forever. It's eternal. And so we are able to move on. We are able to have that motivation to come on, let's go for it because we have an eternal weight of glory. Right? These are the rewards and promises that we get to inherit on the other side of eternity. And so the Bible is not very specific. You know, how's like mentions? What exactly are the mentions? You know, what, what, are the, what are the things that he has reserved? What is the inheritance on the other side? We won't know, but we know that it will be beyond our expectations. Beyond. You know, my auntie had this uh, incredible, and this was before she actually was a Christian. Uh, she fell, my same auntie who was, in the, who was in the States, she fell down in the kitchen and she, uh, and she went into, she, basically she fell down and she was on the floor. But in the spirit, she was taken up to heaven. And so in the heaven, the first person she saw was my Akong, which is her, her father, my grandfather. And then she saw my eldest auntie who also passed away. And uh, so she was, like, she was just describing all the, the things of heaven, you know, the streets of gold, which was real. You know, it's like she said, really, there's streets of gold, you know? Really, there's streets of gold. And then she saw angels, she saw houses. And because she loved flowers, my grandfather went to bring her to this meadow of different flowers. So she was like so amazed, you know, because all different kind of flowers in one meadow, you know? And, and, and as she described all these things, you know, when, when, she, when she told us all these things, and this was when she was not a Christian, and after that, of course, she was a Christian. But when she told us all these things, something burned in our hearts, right? We are like, heaven is real. All these things that sometimes that we sing about, sometimes, you know, as Christians, we just get so, yeah, heaven is a wonderful place. We have angels crying, holy, holy. But when you hear somebody who has been there and when they say, just, just and suddenly the presence of God came and, you know, you, you, you just have that tangible feeling that heaven is real, Heaven is real and it's beyond our expectations. You know, not just the renewal, the renew, uh, reunion, reunion of the people, reunion, reunion of the people that we love, but all the wonderful things that God has prepared for us. Inheriting the world to come is a guarantee for those who belong to God's family. Secondly, what is our inheritance? Our inheritance, we have an inheritance in relationships. We have inheritances in our relationships with people. We can also receive inheritances from people in our lives. Just as Joshua received wisdom because Moses prayed for him, sometimes we can receive things we have not worked for. In Matthew 10, it says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man uh, in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. We know this, we know this familiar story where you know, Jesus went back to his hometown and he couldn't do much miracles. He could just heal. The Bible says he could only heal a few people because of their unbelief. What is their unbelief? Their unbelief towards the Messiah? No, there's unbelief that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus, the son of Joseph, the cousin of this person, the carpenter boy that they saw grew up, the, the people, the, the neighbors and all these people in the hometown saw Jesus when he was growing up and they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't reconcile that he could be the Messiah. And because they despised that, the Bible said that Jesus could not do much miracles. He could, only, he could only heal a few people. And then he moved on. And then he did great things in all the other neighboring places. The inheritance 
that we can have from people comes when we do not allow offense and dishonor to come to our hearts. You know, sometimes it's the toughest, right? I, I, can, I can just share from, from my own experience. When Andre becomes a pastor, I can, I can choose to, huh, this is my, this is my cell member, when my gina kia. You know, last time, really? Like we always, we used to hang out. And of course, they came in when they were like 15. They were really gina and excellent also. Like, but I can choose, I can choose to remain in that, like I'm still your shepherd position. Like, hmm, you are going to be a pastor. Oh. But, if I, when, but when, because I position myself in a way where he is a pastor, he is anointed for this season. He's anointed to, to lead this church. He's anointed to be a man of God, speaking words of wisdom. I've, I've gleaned so much. Because I position myself like that, I'm able to glean and learn and receive the blessings and the rewards that come from him. Because I position myself to honour Axel as the youth director and see his work in legacy, I get to gain a reward that comes from my relationship with him. And sometimes the people that we are most familiar with, even Jason Chua, Jason Chua is another ginakia. <laughs> He's also another young man, you know, who I walk through with all his relationships, pro- relationship problems, relationships. Oops, I gave that away. No. <laughs> But, and I mean, many of us have grown up with Jason, you know, we're all peers, but because we position ourselves to receive him in the name of a prophet, we get to receive the inheritance and the reward, and we see that in our church. We see our church being mobilized in the prophetic, we see a prophetic itch that comes on our church when we receive a prophet like that. We see, we see that our sermons are infused with uh, wisdom, and, and people are actually listening and tuning into our sermons because they find, that, they find, it, they find them so refreshing, that it, it is that it's full of wisdom that is full of wisdom to live the Christian life. Why? Because we position ourselves to receive from a young man. Right? And so we get to have an inheritance in relationships that we have with people if we, if we attribute honour to them, if we attest honour to them. In the honour series, right? Pastor Andre Tan says, honour is in the way we treat every human, every human being. Meaning we see God in them and we value the God in them. And we can have that. We can have an inheritance that when we choose to esteem and honour a person rightly, we can receive a reward and glean from their history with God. Right? Even with from Shen. We can go and see Shen and say, God, I want his life repeated in my life. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> No, but we can always see, we can, I, can, I always see Pastor Daniel minister, right? And I always say, God, I want his passion and I want his foresight in my life. I will like tap one, you know? And even in the, in the church camp when, um, when Peter and Christine were prophesying, if I hear something I like, right? I was like, God, I want that also. Like I say, right? The, our king, the kingdom of God is such that we can occupy the same space, <laughs> you know? We, whatever the person has, I can also claim it as mine. I am also a child of God. I want that. I want the spirit of prophecy. Oh, I want, I want, that. I want joy. I want uh, peace in my life. I want career advancement. You can have anything that you want. You can look at somebody and say, I want that passion in my life. I want her zeal in my life. I want his life repeated in my life. And so thirdly, our, another, the inheritance that we have, we have an inheritance in the here and now. So being joined as with Christ means we can get to partake of our inheritance even right now. We have a portion of our inheritance that is reserved in heaven, but we also have a great portion of our inheritance that we can, that we can dive into, that we can claim right here, right now. Remember, he has given us the Holy Spirit as down payment, a foretaste of what is to come. Again, I have a long list which you can go back to the CD app and see some of the inheritance that we can get to receive. Like... Uh, can you go to the next one? Yeah, yeah, we have so many. These are all things we can have right here, right now. We have life and godliness, satisfaction, divine nature, power and anointing, forgiveness, prosperity in our soul, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Next. Next one. Is it like victory, freedom? Yeah, so go back and read, okay? Go back and, and, and do your homework. Read some of the inheritance that we can get to walk here and now. Here and now. Yeah. 
In Joshua chapter 1 verse 6, uh, verse, verse 3, Joshua chapter 1 verse 3, we see that after the death of Moses, the Lord spoke to Joshua and then he asked them to arise and go you know, to the land that they have given him. And in verse 3, Joshua 1 verse 3, it says, every place that the sole of your foot will thread upon. This is repeating the promise that he gave to Moses to Joshua. Every place that the sole of your feet will thread upon, I have given you. From the wilderness and this, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the, the Hittites, and to the great sea, this shall be your territory. And then he goes on and goes forth to say that to divide the land uh, as an inheritance to the people. In, Moses, uh, in Numbers 34, Moses actually gave them a little map. Okay? They gave them like a little survey, a little map of the inner country and asked them to com- and commanded them to conquer and to drive out the, inher- the inhabitants and to take the land. Of course, we know in the history of Israel that they did not do so. You know, they made uh, treaties and marriages with the Canaanitish nations, with all the little, all the kites, kites, tights, tights, tights people. They had marriages and they had treaties with all these people. And uh, it says, uh, even in history books, you know, that uh, outside of these Canaanite nations were greater territories that stretches from the Lebanon ranges down to the border of Egypt as far as the river Euphrates. It says that this large domain was never altogether conquered by Israel, even though David possessed a large portion and Solomon even more. But the inner kingdom, Israel did not wholly subdue and the wider region was left untouched for centuries. And this is sadly a picture of many Christians today. The inheritance of God in Christ Jesus that we have is exceedingly broad. Exceedingly broad. But we limit ourselves to close quarters. The promise to Moses and to Joshua and to the children of Israel and to us is that every soul, every place that the sole of your feet will thread upon, I have given you. But sometimes all we can think of is just close quarters. Our inheritance is exceedingly broad, broad, but we confine ourselves to what's close and what's near. All that we can think or desire is ours in the covenant of grace. They are immeasurable breaths and lengths. All that is in Christ is meant for all believers. And therefore, all believers may have all that is in Christ. You see, everything in the Bible is up for grabs. And in the, in the words of those old preachers, everything in grace country, every, every land that the sole of your feet can thread upon in grace country is ours for the taking. There is truly land, much land to be possessed. Much land to be possessed in the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon says we should not be content with pence when he endows us with pounds. We should not be content with pence when he endows us with pounds. There's much land to be conquered. There's much land to be possessed. There's so much more. So much more. Fourthly, we have an inheritance in God himself. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The greatest reward from being joined heirs with Christ is that we are reconciled to God again is that we have a connection to God again. That is our greatest inheritance. Jesus has opened up a way for us to be with him in glorious intimacy forever. In Numbers 18.20, it says, The Lord said to Aaron, You will have no portion. This, is, this happens when uh, God was allocating the different lands for the different tribes of Israel to settle in. And to the tribe of Levi, he said, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I and your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. He alone shall be their portion. And we are called the royal priesthood, and we too receive this astounding promise that he is our portion and he is our inheritance, that we get to have him. David says, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Yes, I have a good inheritance And in Genesis 15, it says the word of the Lord. See, before even Abraham, uh, before God even gave Abraham the covenant, made a covenant with Abraham and pronounced a great blessing over him, even before all that, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 15, 
The Lord said to Abraham, or Abraham in that day, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And the Hebrew here is uh, peculiarly uh, emphatic, meaning it emphasized the word I. So in the Hebrew, the word I was set apart. So I, poignant pause, am your great and exceedingly great. I am your, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And the I here encompasses is the same I that says all in all. All in all, I. And then poignant pause for us to think about the magnitude of what God just said. Poignant pause, I. Who God is, all in all, He Himself is our shield and our exceedingly great reward. I do not think, you know, I, like I tried to find and I tried to pray and like, you know, God, what is exactly great reward? What is ex- what are you, why, why are you our exceedingly great reward? But I don't think these six words will really truly <laughs> make sense to us on this side of eternity. Not, uh, the human mind can, can never fully grasp the fullness of I am your exceedingly great reward. What does it mean? I, I don't think our physical bodies can even bear that I am your exceedingly great reward on this side of earth. We truly come into the fullness of life when we, got, we let God lead us into the revelation of who He is. By letting Him reveal His beauty, His glory, His mind, His magnificence, His splendor, and His worth to us. We were created to know Him and to be known by Him. Our hearts were designed and created to have God satisfy the, the deepest longings of our hearts. You see, all the other promises are good and and if we do not gain anything at all from our union with God, the greatest thing we can get is just that we get God Himself. We get God Himself. My beloved is mine and I am His. God all sufficient is our heritage and He more than fills our deepest needs, our highest exp- expectations and our, highest, our deepest aspirations. A.W. Tozer, a man who I love, and I have to read a lot of times before I get what he's saying. A.W. Tozer has this to say, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he's allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after another, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss for having the source of all things. He has one in all. He has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing, for he now has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. Can I have the band on stage, please? Today I want to remind all of us, church, that we have an exceedingly great and broad inheritance. That every land that our soul, the sole of our feet can tread upon, it is ours for the taking. You know, and, and it saddens me that, you know, that uh, sometimes we are not mindful to spiritual things. We do not give weight and value to spiritual things. And because we place no value in those things, we do not position ourselves to benefit. You know? and, and you hear stories of people having breakthrough, you hear stories of people having encounters with God. And all these things are great, but there is, it's, it's one thing to hear people talk about it, and it's another thing to walk in it. And it is ours to have. We are rightful owners. We are rightful heirs of the inheritance that God has given us. We are joint heirs with Christ. And whether or not we are aware we impact the people we come into contact with. We impact the generations after us. You see, what we get, we give. What we get, we give. Proverbs tells us that a good man lives an inheritance to his chosen children, but it's not just children. It's not just physical children. It's spiritual children. It's people that we come in contact with. It's people that we are friends with. It's people who see us from afar. You see, a legacy is, in- is inevitable. You will pass down things to your generation. You will pass down things. You will pass down your traits. 
genetic traits, you will pass down um, character, your personality, you will pass down hobbies, maybe your talent, skills. You will pass things down. But are they of value? How valuable will your legacy be? Will you leave, will you leave anything uh, that has relevance and benefit for their walk with Jesus? An inheritance outlasts your lifetime and impacts the generations to come. The most valuable thing that we can leave with people, and I'm not just talking about, get me, okay, because many of you are not married or you're young or what, but it's not just your physical children, but people that you come across with. When, when somebody meets you and talks to you for like 10 minutes, what do you leave with them? We all leave legacies. When we come to talk to people, when we come in contact with people, we leave legacies and these are the things that we leave behind them. And the most valuable thing that you can leave with people and your generations is your walk with God. That when people walk away from you or when I'm, I'm old and passed away and my children and my grandchildren, my, children, my grandchildren's children talk about me, what kind of legacy do I leave behind? Oh, Christine was a funny person. Actually, not really. <laughs> you know, but I want to leave them a history with God. I want to leave them with a legacy of my walk with God. You see, although every individual will eventually make their own decisions, but when we consistently show them the value and the relevance of faith in Christ, that's a legacy that's not easily tossed aside. That's not easily tossed aside. You never know who and how many people you will impact on the other side of your obedience. Because Jason Trust said yes, how many people have been impacted by the house of prayer? How many, the nation has been awoken to an urgency and a sense of prayer? Because Andre said yes, the church has taken on a new life, leading us to a new season. Because you said yes, things in your family changed. Salvation entered your family. Deliverance came into your family. Many of us have all this story and our obedience, our treading of those territory, our possession of all those inheritance of God leaves a legacy for the people that, come, that we come in contact with and for our generations to come. The battles we win now becomes a conquered land for them to dwell in. That's what I always tell myself. That every battle I, I win internally, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, or even physically, whatever it is, every spiritual battle that I win becomes a conquered land for my children. They do not, yes, they will have to deal with their own issues, but it becomes easy for them. Because my parents paved the way in faith in God, in the faithfulness of God, in the goodness of God. Because my parents paved the way in ministry, in serving God, I have it easy. I don't struggle with loving God and the church. I believe in God even though I strayed away from the church sometimes. But they made it easy because every battle won now becomes a conquered land for them to dwell in. It makes it easy for the next generation. And your testimony inspires somebody else because I've gone through certain things. When you come and talk to me and you go through the same thing, my testimony can be repeated in your life. My life can be repeated in your life. The victories that... And so the things that you go through, the victories that you win, the land that you possess can be given to the people who need it. You can be a testimony what you inherit today becomes their heirloom tomorrow. What you inherit today becomes their heirloom tomorrow. Church, there are many things for us to, to take on. Christian life is not just this, Sunday weekly meetings and life group meetings. The Christian life is a victorious, full, rich life. That every part of our soul, our being, our mental, our emotions can be infused with the richness of God. There are so many things that we can walk into. We can walk in perpetual joy. We can walk in perpetual hope. There are many things that we can lay claim and possess and possess of. Amen? 
Today, there are many things that you can possess. You can possess salvation. You can possess, you know, disciplines in life. You can possess peace and faith and love and joy and victory and freedom in Christ Jesus. Don't just settle for nominal Christianity. Think of the next generation. Think of the people you come in contact with. What kind of legacy will you give them? Would you stand with me? Today, would you just position your heart to lay claim, to lay claim to the inheritance that God has for you, to what He has portioned for you, predestined and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Your inheritance is exceedingly broad, exceedingly broad. Let's lay claim. Let's lay claim. Let's take a hold. Would you allow the Lord to just open your hearts to see your spiritual eyes, to see the land that is before you, the things, the promises, and the blessings of God that you have yet to claim, that you have yet to see in your life. These things are yours. You are a rightful heir. You are a rightful heir. You are a joint heir with Christ. All that is in Christ is for all believers. And all believers can have all that is in Christ. All that you ever ask for. And even as the worship band sings over you, would you just talk to God? Would you just allow Him to open the hearts and the, and the eyes of your understanding to see the land that is before you and to, and to give you even a charge to possess those things?